Well, hello and welcome to this wonderful podcast here from your Manchester. Yes, if you missed the show this week, do not worry. We have got the best bits as done by Bell and Shell. That's right. On today's show, everybody, we are going to be speaking to Davina DeCampo, Ricky Williams, and of course, Councillor John Connor Lyons. Oh, you are not going to want to go anywhere. So whatever you're doing, however you're listening to this podcast, enjoy. So first on our show today, we're talking to a gentleman who is indeed a friend of our show, and he's still working tirelessly, even with lockdown, to make sure they preserve some of the real heart here within Manchester. So obviously over the kind of pandemic, uh, you know, we've had to put pause to a number of projects and a number of things that we've been wanting to do, um, you know, for things like the Piccadilly Gardens uh, wall and the transformation has had to be put on hold, um, things like the, the Gay Build Review, um, things like you know progressing the affordable housing uh, you know planning application but now we're starting to pick things back up now so you would have seen the news come out a few weeks ago about the Piccadilly wall uh, that being uh, demolished and that planning uh, being approved we've just last week had the um, application for the 20% affordable housing uh, in the city centre approved I mean we haven't seen an application like that um, you know, since I've been alive, so that's really fantastic news for uh, those who are looking to get a home in the city centre that is affordable. Um, and we've also, you know, successfully kicked back an application to demolish a grade two listed building in the northern quarter, which was, um, you know, a, a great victory for a lot of uh, heritage lovers and, and those who really want like to see our uh, working class Mancunian heritage in the city centre being restored and kept. Let's go back to Piccadilly Gardens then, because okay. this, this has been a gripe of mine mm. for forever. Now, when they first built that shocking wall, yeah. which eventually became an encapsulation of a sushi bar, right? <laughs> I thought that the reason why it had holes in it is because they were going to lay something on the facade of it that was going to make it look nice, like a nice bit of plastic, mm. you know, yeah. anything. Now, that stayed there for an awful lot of years. Is that wall... Perhaps not the one that's connected to the buildings because we want the businesses to keep going. But that wall that stands alone, that looks like it's straight out of the Imperial War Museum, is that going? So that wall, that the freestanding wall, the council own. So uh, we have approved uh, permission to demolish that wall. The other bit where you've got the Cafe Nero and the um, Tampopo, uh, just shout out for Tampopo, fantastic business. Um, the, 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 I know. Uh, so that that wall isn't owned by the by the council. That's owned by another uh, company. However, they don't want to see that wall retained, um, and they want to see that whole area regenerated. Um, and and so do the council. So we're looking at. I think, um, I think you've got somebody who will help knock that down. I'd love yeah. to see you do that in your heels. I'd flick it and it would go down. This is the thing, though. <laughs> it's such a pathetic thing. I've mm. heard it's an art installation. It's this, it's that. What it is, in fact, in my opinion, is hideous. Yeah, I mean, it, go on. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely was supposed to be a, an, an art installation. And, some, and, you know, the architect, some of the other work that he's done across, you know, Europe, in Japan, is fantastic. But um, I don't know if it was budget reasons or... You know, work capacity, I'm not too sure, but it, here in Manchester, it just doesn't look like art to me. And the gardens themselves, going a bit mm. further into them, but I, see, I remember it back in its, in its lovely mid-90s, and it was quite a desirable place even then. Yeah. Now, do you think we'll ever get back to that gloriousness of flower beds and nice lawns? 
Well, no, because you couldn't walk on the grass. Um, and I, I don't think that that would that would fit um, 21st century Manchester, where we've seen the you know city centre population grow by you know a hundred, and we've seen those who are coming into the city centre grow by you know hundreds of thousands on a on a daily basis. So we will never be able to get back to that and and maintain it in a proper way. But I think what we can do is make the space you know uh, purposeful um, and enjoyable. And I think you know a problem with Pigdale Gardens is it tries to be a million and one things. I think we need to think about what the space is and make it a real good space for for those purposes. We shouldn't, you know, be trying to make the space, you know, do a million one things. We should try and make it, you know, a, a purposeful space. And I think that's what hopefully this transformation in the future will look like. The funding for that yeah. transformation is uncertain, but hopefully we can get it secured. I know that Belinda is concerned with the gardens. My mm. concern is something, and I wanted to pick up on what you said about making homes in the city centre affordable. Mm. I mean, I've been gripped to the BBC Two programme, which I'm sure... Mantopia. Yeah, Mantopia. Yeah, and, and it has shone a light on things that I, I really didn't know were happening in, mm. in this city that I live in. And, and it is hard for people now to kind of keep hold of the houses because they're kind of being forced out, aren't they? Well, uh, a, a massive problem with the, the housing crisis that is across the country right now is that we, we aren't building enough council homes and council homes that we do have in stock are being sold through right to buy. You know, so you know, whether you believe that's a good program or a bad program, you know, people are able to buy up their homes, uh, their council homes for, you know, next to nothing. And then they can potentially sell that on for a lot more money. So, you know, that is um you know uh, a certainly damaging impact and then you have lots of on the other scale um lots of uh, very uh, expensive flats being built in the city center um you know which you know whatever your opinion is um you know it is bringing investment it is boosting the economy the construction industry but without those council homes you are going to have a an uneven kind of balance and i think we need to have affordable homes, we need to have council homes. And, you know, we also need to have that investment coming in, in the, the other type of high end market homes. Well, just going back to that Mantopia, one guy that was on there, quite cocky, when asked whether this will be an affordable accommodation, said everything's affordable just to a different markets. Awesome. So, I mean, as, as, a, as, a young, as a young Mancunian myself who, you know, what, wants to live in the city centre, represents the city centre area. You know, I, I need an affordable flat. I, I don't make a make loads of money, so I, I need an affordable place to live. Um, and I think it's up to all developers and and the government as well to to pull together and the council to pull together to ensure that when we're building homes, we're building homes for everyone, and we always have on-site affordable housing. And you know, money's going off to build those council homes that we need in other parts of the city. It, that's all important. Because what's a real shame is some of these these flats that are, you know, the, the super apartments and everything mm. are being bought by these millionaires who actually buy them and then don't bloody live in them, you know? Right. And, it's, and, and that in itself is a real shame because, again, it's not kind of doing anything for our city. And, you know, the poor people that kind of have grown up in Manchester that have this passion for the city, they they can't afford those. And that, that's the thing that, you know, really annoys me and, and upsets me really absolutely and you know we we have a history of actually building council homes in the city center i mean in the heart of the northern quarter you have the smithfield estate which is you know a council estate unfortunately 
about 60% of that now is um, privately owned through right to buy. But, you know, it is possible to build affordable and council homes in the city centre. We just need um, you know, willing participants to make that happen. So should we stop calling them affordable housings and actually put price categories on them then? Yeah, so in Manchester, um, we have a different um, definition of affordable to the government. Um, so we, we say a third of uh, the average Mancunian's wage is affordable um, as, uh, you know, a month. Um, so that would be affordable. And then also these, these council homes as well, which is a, a different bracket. And that's for, you know, uh, council homes are essentially a safety net. And, you know, you wouldn't sell your home, uh, you wouldn't sell your bed, sorry, in the NHS. So you shouldn't be able to sell um, that other safety net, your council home either, um, or buy that bed or, or that council home, if that makes sense. So I think we need to build affordable homes, council homes, and also, you know, that th those other high-end um, flats, those apartments, you know, they're great. They, you know, uh, fuel the economy, but without those other two, um, you're going to end with an uneven balance and, and, you know, that's not fair. What about the historical buildings within Manchester? Do you think that we're in danger of losing too many of them? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, land value in the city centre is, you know, uh, going up and up every year. Um, and therefore, it's costing more for those who buy uh, pieces of land to then, um, you know, look at the buildings on them and then regenerate them and repair them and restore them. Um, and often it's more viable to demolish them. Um, and that's what we had with the Weaver's Cottages on Thomas Street, um, at the planning committee this month. Um, the developers brought an application to demolish the Weaver's Cottages, which are grade two listed, because it was more financially viable to do that than it was to restore them. That's, gosh, that's See, a lot of these buildings are gorgeous. I, I'm, I'm sort of torn in between. I'm, I'm partially thinking the facades of the buildings are, are, can remain and look and stay and look wonderful. Maybe we can do something with the shells of them. Mm. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Historic England, which is the official kind of body on behalf of the government, which looks after, you know, uh, historical areas and historic buildings and make sure that no harm comes to them. Um, you know, mm. they're up to negotiate um, these things. Um, and as are we as local councillors in the city centre, we want to make sure that as many historical assets are maintained, uh, be that the facade or the interior. Um, and, you know, we just want developers uh, and landowners who are willing to um, talk to us about about this, you know, and about making that investment in the area and in our heritage. I think in a nutshell, what it boils down to is um, validating and remembering the Mancunian. And by that, I mean the past Mancunian, the future Mancunian, the present Mancunian, and not trying to cover it all up with too many things that have got nothing in heritage to do with Manchester. Absolutely. I mean, one of the great things about our city is that you can stand on many streets and you can physically look at the, the streetscape and say, this is a story of Manchester. You've got the old of, you know, the, our industrial past where we really started as a city. And then you've got the kind of the new boom that has happened, uh, you know, in the last two decades. So, you know, you can stand and, and walk down our streets and see a, a story being told. And if we lose certain elements of that story, then we're kind of losing certain parts of Manchester. Uh, and, and that's not on really, is it? So, no. Oh, no. Favourite street in Manchester? Anita Street. Anita Street? I've oh. never been down Anita Street. Oh my God, it's, it's, it's like walking back to the 50s. Whereabouts is it? Uh, it's just off the side of Ancoats. And it's just mm. beautiful. If you, when you get off this interview, 
Google it, John Connor Lyons, because it's absolutely stunning. And it's it's done exactly what we've just been talking about. It's kept the oldie worldie, but they've done some mega renovation inside. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. All right, well, we're taking a walk down Anita Street. Hope to see you there soon. Thanks for coming on the show again, John. It's always a pleasure. Well, from one podcast to another, we are talking to the two stars of the podcast, Fierce Slay Talk. And first up, it is the one, the only Gadio presenter, Ricky Williams. My co-producer, Connor, um, it was kind of his idea. He wanted to do something with Davina. She's a great personality. And then sort of as we started researching through like drag race and stuff, you get those stories um, where people have struggled in the past. Davina talks about her high school and so does some of the others. And then we were like, well, let's go back and kind of work out how, where where did this person come from that's, you know, all glittered and fabulous on this stage and what struggles has that person had and, you know, how did they come to be that person that they are today? And that's kind of um, the journey that we want to take with each of our guests. And you really have kind of interviewed the kings and queens of the drag world, haven't you? So far, so good. Yeah, we're really lucky, obviously, because Davina's got lots of contacts. Um, and then I don't know if I'm allowed to say like that Belinda um, is going to feature very soon because Belinda's very prominent oh, in the Manchester scene. Yeah, we're very lucky because we've got lots of um, lots of guests coming up. So we're quite far ahead and everything. Um, and then we're going stateside soon as well, which is really cool. Not physically, <laughs> sadly, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, getting to talk to lots more people from the drag scene. I think the stories behind how people become what they ultimately are and how they perhaps find their, their inner and real selves is like just as important as what number they did on the stage last week, isn't it, really? Yeah, definitely. Um, because a lot of people's real selves, they maybe didn't have that confidence to come out with originally and that drag has helped the, them kind of bring their real selves out and, and, and it is, the, is them performing. There's been a real resurgence of podcasts over the last kind of six, 12 months, haven't they? Did you ever think that you would get to do this podcast at all? You know, about 12 months ago, did you, you know, how long did you think about starting it up? Um, literally the beginning of the year. Really? So was, yeah, so I was just lucky that I was, um, I work with Connor at Gadio and he's um, a panellist on our show. I don't know if you've seen the exchange, but we kind of cover current affairs. Um, and it just happens to be like that, you know, because of us working together and he knew what I was like as a presenter, that he kind of just made the connection and put it together. Um, wow. But I'm really lucky. <laughs> so I've got to speak to some amazing people. So, yeah. And the thing so is, if you can do a podcast in lockdown, <laughs> you're going to smash it going forward when you're both in the same room together, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. Um, so, and, um, and we'd like to maybe try and do a live episode in front of some people at some point as well. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. everything's you're playing it by ear, isn't it? Depends. You know, what can we do in the next eight weeks? It depends what they decide, I guess. Right, absolutely. Well, we know a new episode drops every Thursday, so we can look forward to a new episode dropping tomorrow. But oh, tell everybody who's watching now, what is it called, your podcast? Because I love the title. <laughs> it's called Fierce Slay Talk, um, which I don't know if you've heard on one of Davina's songs, the lyric is Fierce Slay Walk, so we kind of adapted it from that. Um, I didn't even know that, I'll be honest with you. Oh, <laughs> I, didn't know that. I mean, it's fine. You, of course, are also appearing on Gadio. Uh, yeah, but not for ages, um, because you have to have three people in the studio to do my show, and unfortunately, we're not allowed to have three people in the studio. Um, so a core amount of people have been keeping it together at Gadio and doing kind of solo shows, and 
we're lucky that kind of um, Dean on the breakfast show and Emma were able to do it um, in house together as well. So they've everybody's done a really good job of managing just keep it all going. Um, and obviously everyone was at home, so the listening has been really good. Um, but for the rest of us who are just dying to get back in there, it's just we're just really eagerly waiting to get back on with it. And now Lucas just joined us, everybody. Legend of RuPaul's Drag Race UK and obviously co-host of this fantabulous podcast. Here she is, Davina DeCampo. Davina, we've got so many questions that we need to ask you without like focusing on RuPaul or anything, focusing on your lovely podcast. Uh, perhaps you could tell us a bit. Have you been listening to Ricky's interview in just the past few minutes of us? We just repeat ourselves. Um, no, I was... I was in the- <laughs> I love the honesty. So he was, <laughs> <laughs> he was, oh, he was saying that it's um, it's about the stories about drag queens and how. And I said, and she said, and I said, then he said, and I said. But basically, it's just as important to get the history <laughs> of the queen as as much as what they're doing now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, drag for you know a lot of us is um, a way of. As people who aren't going to be able, you know, I was never going to be Jean Valjean or Chaffet. That was not going to happen for me. So, uh, I mean, more likely to be Gavroche, yeah. (laughs) Small, skinny, weasley little creature that I am. So, it was a way of me using uh, what I've got as a performer to keep working. Um, And, but that's not the same for everybody, you know, for, Everybody has a really different um, journey into drag. And so, like, we found out what yours was today, which I I didn't know. I didn't know how you had come to start drag. And it's always really interesting because it's always so different with everybody, how they get into drag. Can you let us know what has surprised you the most, then, of people's stories? Give us a little bit of of an insight of something that has made you go, oh, you know. I never knew that, or that I'll, I'll think of them in a different way, or is that just Belinda we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, actually, Belinda's is the most surprising to me. That her, her You're going to have to tell us. Don't be a tease. Oh, we'll keep them waiting for this slate. Sit in that walk, or whatever it is. Fiercely. Very much a kind of um, serendipitous moment of uh, mistakery. You know, somebody messes up and then that's by mistake. And just because you're in that particular place at that time, that's how you end up in in doing drag, which I just think is crazy. And was it for you, though? Because we've not talked about your story and your journey. How did you get into this career? Well, I mean... When you look like me and you sound like me, and um, there aren't that many options open. (laughs) My now husband was like, when he first met me, I was working as a dancer and I'm, I'm just too short to be like the lead, you know, the premier dancer. I'm too short. Plus my technique isn't good enough. And that's fine. I can, I can own that and that's okay. Um, so I wasn't earning very much money working as a dancer in and out doing workshops and community projects with people. And so my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, said, who has run nightclubs, gay nightclubs forever. He said, look, you can dance, you can sing, 
sometimes you're funny. Maybe you should do drag. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love it. And here you are now. Ricky, can I ask you, have yep. you ever done drag? Or has <laughs> you ever wanted to drag you up? You know? So, I, do you know, when, when we decided to do this, me and Connor had said at some point people are going to want to see you in drag. And we have agreed it's going to happen um, at some point soon. Um, I don't know when, though. Not sure. It's going to happen at Davina's house. It's all up to Davina. Yeah, I get I mean, a feeling, Ricky, it won't be that much longer now for you to wait until you're into a frock flower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm Maybe it's yeah. about, you know, government guidelines. Where can we meet each other? Are we allowed to be in the same room together? Nobody knows anymore. Yeah, we can't do anything yet. As soon as we know what we're allowed to do again, then we'll be able to do some drag. I, I also... I also want some singing involved in one of your podcasts because, Davina, we know you've got an amazing voice, but you also <laughs> come from an entertainment Four background, octaves. Ricky. You know, you've done cabaret before, didn't you? Uh, yeah, so uh, for Thomas Cook um, and First Choice before that as well. Um, so the operators are available. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't know if I was allowed to mention those things, so I just packed right on with it. What you want, but yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, but this is so much better though. The, like the holiday resort is a bit kind of like manufactured, whereas this is nicer because we're getting to decide what's in it and who we're talking to. And if, <laughs> if our entertainment will be in it, it will be in it. That's <laughs> exciting. I'm a single coming out. Because Davina, you've got an actual LP out now, haven't you? Like physical vinyl LP. Yes, I do. Uh, to support Record Store Day, I released my um, little six track uh ep lp on uh on vinyl and of course what color is better than red so it's a red vinyl disc uh, and wow. uh, a certain amount of the proceeds is going to sonar as well which is supporting um music artists who are out of work at the moment and along with i mean listen i give as much as i possibly can so as well as supporting and giving some of my profits which uh <laughs> profits to uh, struggling artists. You also get a digital show with me for free with the purchase of the the uh, vinyl itself. You know, so I am giving here. I am giving it. <laughs> just speaking great. of which, Davina, just before we let the pair of you go, could you just quickly say hello to a very dear friend of mine uh, called Mia, please? Hello, Mia. Mia. There we go. There we go. Uh, wherever you are <laughs> we have had a fabulous time on the show i've had two drag queens in my life what more can i want it's fair to say in that case then you've had a ball or two <laughs> in that case oh very very cheeky please do join us next week because we have got another fabulous show with all the best bits from bell and shell in the meantime do tell us that you like us yes like and enjoy and write a little reviewy thing give us some stars give us some stars lovely milky bar stars are my favorite if you want to send them <laughs> other than that make sure you check us out next week when we've got another fantastic show lined up for you all on your, Your Manchester. Manchester. The best bits. Indeed.